Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by Spotify. If you're a fan of our show, you should check out Good As Hell. It's a new spotlight on Spotify in partnership with Refinery29. On Good As Hell, you can hear host Lizzo as she talks with the leading ladies of rap about breaking down barriers. And it's more than just a podcast. It's really a safe space for all women in music. And Spotlight gets you way closer to the story, too, with related photos, videos, and animations that are available with each episode. Good As Hell. It's a new Spotlight, and it's only on Spotify. From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger. Picture a woman rolling her eyes while manically laughing with a knife. Now, picture a woman sitting on a bed, fully dressed, shoes on, but 100% despondent. These are both now iconic gifts of reality star Tiffany Pollard, aka New York. Tiffany's appearance on VH1's Flavor of Love was 12 years ago, but people still seek out her dramatic, over-the-top reaction gifts. They punctuate office emails about spilled coffee, they're sent in group texts in reaction to bad Tinder dates, and they're all over Twitter. One user I found actually had a thread of Tiffany Pollard gifts to explain her entire four-year undergraduate experience. Now, if you have no idea what or who I'm talking about, here's an iconic scene from Flavor of Love 2 when Tiffany's confronting fellow contestant Hottie about stealing her jacket. Hottie says, Not to be outdone, Tiffany fires back. Beyonce, Beyonce, Beyonce. You know, you, you know who you really look like? You fucking look like Luther Van That moment became a very popular reaction gif, and users are still adding their own commentary on top of it to continue the meme. Tiffany Pollard's internet legacy first started on Black Twitter in 2015, when user Mike Shotya used a screenshot of her glassed out in bed to describe that moment when everyone around you is ordering food, but you're too broke, so you act like you're not hungry. Pollard's image quickly crossed over to white and other non-Black users, with BuzzFeed eventually declaring Pollard the only meme you need this summer. Now, that was 2015, but that article was followed by many other articles on BuzzFeed, including 17 Reasons Tiffany New York Pollard Should Run for President. Now, Tiffany Pollard isn't the only blackface from early reality TV finding renewed fame online in the form of reaction gifs. In fact, black reaction gifs have become the default for how most of us express our emotions online. Internet users across race seem to prefer using black reaction gifs to describe their most basic emotions. And that's what cultural critic Lauren Michelle Jackson describes as digital blackface. She introduced the term to the internet via a now viral Teen Vogue op-ed titled, We Need to Talk About Digital Blackface in Reaction Gifs. Here's my conversation with cultural critic Lauren Michelle Jackson. 
As much as I wish I could claim credit for the concept digital blackface, and I wish I could find who actually started it, it's a term I more or less discovered on Tumblr, where there was the observation that certain kinds of reaction images, usually featuring black women or black gay men, black femmes, were being used to express a certain limited range of emotions. And moving from Tumblr to Twitter, it's even more prevalent. Now the fact that we have these automated GIF buttons just make it even easier to kind of express ourselves with GIFs, which is all fine and well. But again, the problem is that, you know, you notice it has to be shade or sass or anger or these kind of very limited but very extreme emotions somehow only are exclusively using Black images, images from Black reality television. It just kind of was nagging at me how this was so ingrained, it seemed like, in the medium. I was waiting for somebody to write about it, but I figured I guess it might as well be me. And there's one person Lauren sees doing this all the time. Kind of call out, or at least just use as an illustration, I use Megan McCain. She really likes using gifts of Real Housewives of Atlanta. She'll say something, her version of sassy or something like punctuate it with, you know, a gif of Kenya Moore, who has a lot of great talking head moments on Atlanta. What are these black women doing for you? Why do you always have to go to them to do that? And here are some of the behaviors that she saw getting gift the most. It's snapping your fingers, yelling, it's asking for receipts, it's a hair flip, a side eye. New York from Flavor of Love, gifts of Oprah, gifts of Wendy from the Wendy show are very prevalent. They're just kind of looking for that generic, sassy Black woman to express their inner diva. It starts to become a problem when it comes to a culture where it's normalized to delegate certain extreme emotional labor to these images that are cycled and repeated and sped around. Then you get something that's looking like digital blackface. Right. So you you go on Giphy, you find that most popular reaction GIFs are of women of color who are displaying exaggerated or tropey expressions. And people are using those expressions to relate how they feel. And a lot of those people are not women of color. How does that equate to digital blackface? as far back as the 19th century rise of minstrelsy, which was, you know, in some ways a very distinct product of, you know, American culture and theater and entertainment and is what actually gives us things like vaudeville and early cinema and even cartoons. And so, you know, this practice that allowed performers to move their body in very extreme and very physical ways uh, to experiment with, you know, physical comedy, things like that under this, you know, kind of black shoeshine mask. So just some background on the history of blackface here. Do you remember that scene in Mad Men when Roger Sterling puts on black face paint and performs Old Kentucky Home in front of a laughing crowd of co-workers at his Kentucky Derby party? The sun shines bright on the old Kentucky home. Tis summer and the darkies are gay. The corn tops ripe. And the meadows in the bloom While the birds make music all the day That scene references this historical American tradition known as minstrel shows. And that's where white performers would 
paint their face black and reenact black stereotypes to white audiences just for laughs. I did this at home for her with a little shoe polish. She thought it was a scream. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's an unfortunate theatrical tradition, and it dates back to the early 19th century. As Lauren writes in her article, quote, Many of our most beloved entertainment genres owe at least part of themselves to the minstrel stage. While often associated with Jim Crow-era racism, the tenets of minstrel performances remain alive in television, movies, music, and in its most advanced iteration, on the internet. In some ways, connects to the ways in which technology now, you know, allows us to at least digitally kind of inhabit an otherwise persona for the same purposes, to be extreme and outlandish in ways that white acceptability or non-black acceptability doesn't allow for. So as a white person, you might not get to be doing the finger snapping that you, you know, want to do in real life because, you know, it looks ridiculous or it's not within the realm of professional behavior or whatever. But, you know, on the Internet, you can say, you know, shade and just insert a gif of some love and hip hop star or something like that to do the work of being, you know, a sassy individual for you. I mean, the thing I would never say is that these gifts aren't, for example, reflections of actual real behavior. So are they exaggerated and extreme because they appear on reality television or in film or something like that? Of course. But at the same time, I mean, I know black women who are, you know, a little bit extra, who emote, who yell, who are loud. Um, and I think that's in some ways part of black expressive culture. And why do you think that people relate so well to expressions of people and women of color specifically in this way? That's a really good question. Part of it is when you are restricted by, you know, a certain kind of normative culture, like, yeah, you see, you know, another culture that has developed differently such that women of color, um, black women are, you know, maybe allowed to be a little bit more freer with their bodies. And, you know, Bell Hooks talks about her concept, which she calls eating the other, which is where white women, you know, kind of crave freedoms or liberatory actions that women of color have embraced about themselves and about their cultures, and she calls that eating the other. These characters are just people who are very gregarious and very likable. New York is just, like, such a fun—I mean, she's the most fun thing, probably— to ever, you know, come out of Flavor of Love, truthfully. <laughs> totally. And are there shows and celebrities that you grew up watching or interacting with that you've seen come back as gifts or memes that you feel maybe a little bit uneasy with seeing how they lose or gain new meaning and lose context online? If I had to pick one example, I mean, I think Whitney Houston gifts are pretty popular. That interview she did with uh, was it Barbara Walters, I believe, that was, you know, actually a really kind of uneasy interview. But, you know, a lot of people like to point out point where she says, you know, something like I have the receipts or something like that. Receipts and receipts is like one of those things that, you know, started kind of within both black vernacular, but also, you know, queer vernacular and has kind of like become, you know, super, super outspread. Who are the personalities that are getting gift the most and do they benefit at all from that? Ms. Foxy, she was on the show. I think it's Beyond Scared Straight or something. It's like one of those shows where they send 
quote-unquote troubled youth to the prison and the people in the prison, you know, basically are trying to scare them into straightening up and acting right. And so Miss Foxy was, you know, first seen as featured on that show. She was in prison and is now out of prison. But people like that, I don't know if they're seeing... And I highly doubt they're seeing any financial kind of compensation for their image just, you know, circulating the web. Peaches Monroe, who started on Fleek, you know, she hasn't seen really any money from that. And that word, you know, went all around the world. Is there a positive side to the abundance of reaction gifts that are focused on women of color? Like, is there any good that can come out of it? I think it's absolutely great that it's like easier for black folks to kind of laugh amongst themselves, use gifts amongst themselves. I mean, back in my day, you would have to kind of screen grab and create gifts the old fashioned way, I guess you could say, and, you know, save it to a folder and upload it to photo bucket or something like that. But now it's just like, there's a wealth of all these gifts through Giphy and other things like that. And I believe Giphy has a actual designated person who her job is to kind of focus on diversity within gifts, which is an incredible thing to think about. And so to the extent that that accessibility improves, you know, the ability for just regular Black folks on the Internet to express themselves the way they want to, Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always, you know, a good thing. So when is it okay to use a GIF of a person of color? Where is that line, do you think? So, you know, we always want the easy answers, especially when it comes to race. And Sarah Ahmed talks about this a lot um, in terms of whiteness, where people always ask, what can I do? What can I do? And she says that she calls it a form of block tearing, basically, where the very asking of the question and the repeated asking of the question is actually preventative to a kind of useful answer, right? You know, we all have to do these kinds of evaluations on ourselves in terms of race, in terms of sexuality, in terms of gender. And so the more we can think about, you know, what we do as not a mindless activity, but as something that, you know, is always going to tap into a kind of history of behavior, I think the more we can start to improve our interactions that we have with each other online. And thank you for calling out the question itself. (laughs) No, I know I didn't mean to call. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you did. Pollard is still in our cultural lexicon. We're still talking about it now, even though it's been 12 years. Yeah, I mean, I really wonder if there's, you know, there has to be people online who, like, have no clue who this woman is. Like, and I keep calling her New York. And, like, just, like, I think there's people who probably don't even know. And, you know, she's just, I don't know, she's so relatable and, you know, has so many moods and moments whether she's just like kind of sitting, you know, still on the bed, which is like a meme I've seen circulating around a lot. There's the one where, she, you know, she's holding the knife and she's just like chewing. You know, she just has, I think, yeah, it's like she doesn't really slot into, you know, one thing or the other. But at the same time, it seems like her moods, especially like as a woman, seem just so, so relatable. She's for all occasions, essentially. It, you know, expresses the, you know, kind of flexibility of meme culture. That's like the best part about meme culture, which is that, you know, it takes a moment in time or a snapshot from somewhere and will just like remove the context and just send it circulating for whatever purpose 
people latch on to. Is Tiffany Pollard a lesson for other reality stars that to remain in the cultural zeitgeist, act out in a specific way that makes you memeable? I'm a Drag Race fan, and so you can definitely tell across the progression of the show because a lot of those queens have also become iconic as gifts as well. You know, not today, Satan, right? I kind of was thinking that you would turn out something that we hadn't seen. Not today, Satan. Not today. And you can kind of tell how, you know, the talking head has changed a little bit in, you know, the reality TV format. You can add Real Housewives to this as well. Like people, I think reality TV, people on reality TV now know that they are subject to, you know, become a meme or become a gif. And so you can see them upping the kind of performance factor and, you know, trying to get that soundbite or whatever to kind of go viral online. And so I think the reality TV show's star's goal is always to be remembered and to kind of parlay it into something else. And, you know, one of the ways to do that definitely nowadays is to become a gif or become a meme. I know people in real life who act like Nini, who are quick-witted like Nini or Portia or something like that. Who are two characters on Real Housewives of Atlanta. Atlanta, Yeah, just to state for those (laughs) uninitiated. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I recently branched out to other franchises. And so, like, I've been watching, like, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And those women are just as, like, cuckoo, just as, you know, in some cases quick-witted. But I do think it's just, like, a different, I mean, black culture expression in general is just kind of different and sometimes extra and double voiced in a way that I guess unmarked or white cultural expression is not. Can you explain what you mean by double voiced? Again, that's another relic from my literary training. Studies on black language, black vernacular talk about things like signifying saying one thing, but with another or multiple other meanings underneath that only other people who kind of speak the same vernacular would understand. Signifying can get really, really complicated, really deep. But yeah, some of it has to do with a linguistic tradition that came out of needing to say one thing in front of white folks and have it mean something else to black folks in the same room. You know, if you think about side eye as something that is very subtle and supposed to signify a lot without actually saying anything. So that's a little bit of what I mean by double voiced, multi-voiced in poetry and rap music, kind of artistic technique. Lauren Michelle Jackson, cultural critic, thank you so much for coming on Strong Opinions today. It was great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Lauren Michelle Jackson explained the front end of digital blackface, but I also wanted to learn more about the back end. How do these gifts even get made? A lot of the gifts, the reaction gifts in particular, they're from reality television shows. And reality television shows are cut in a very particular way. That's meme scholar and PhD candidate Kate Miltner. The way that reality TV is shot, it makes for amazing reaction gifts, right? Because everything's meant to be over the top because that's where the drama is from. There's no script, right? The drama is this interpersonal thing and the more intense, the better, right? So that's the first thing. 
And then the second thing is that if you look at your phone and you go into either Giphy's app or you go into, you know, Tenor or if you go into any of the GIF keyboards that most people use and you just type in angry, those GIFs are sort of algorithmically curated, right? But we don't know what the algorithm is that sort of pushes certain GIFs to the top, right? So we don't know if it's because they're the most popular or the most used or, or any of those things, right? So there's, there's a platform governance issue that's sort of underlying all of this. Like, yes, it is definitely a matter of representation, but there's also a layer of the technical that is really unclear. Kate noted that often when you pop open your GIF keyboard, it's not always obvious why some GIFs are at the top of that list. I absolutely agree that digital blackface is something that we need to look at, but there are layers here because of the fact that this is happening within technical systems that are, you know, governed by, you know, layers of decision making that most people aren't privy to and also like, you know, algorithmic curation. There are millions of GIFs out there. What, what makes certain GIFs rise to the top? Some of the most popular GIFs make their way into our pop culture thanks to the labor of a very dedicated fan base. And it also depends on the context, right? I mean, a lot of GIFs came into the, the online ecosystem through fandom cultures, right? I mean, these people were creating GIFs so that they could communicate their love for a particular media text. And the thing that makes it really complicated is that you don't necessarily know, like, who a person is when they're deploying a certain GIF. Meghan McCain has a habit of sort of using GIFs of black women to express certain types of affect. Yeah, that's, that's problematic. Like, that's super fraught. I mean, you know, I'm a white woman, and I think very carefully about what gifts I use to represent my affective states because, you know, it's political, right? Like, some people may be like, I mean, it's just a gift, like, whatever. But it actually, it, it, has, it has meaning. It has power. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with Lauren Michelle Jackson and Kate Milner. Most people say don't at me, but I would love to hear your opinions about this topic. So at me your strong opinions. Tweet me at popcultpirate or slide into my DMs on Instagram. I'm at popculturepirate. And I really hope you keep listening through to the other episodes this season. We had a lot of fun making them. If you're looking for another amazing podcast that tackles intersectional feminist theory and pop culture, check out Food for Thought. It's like NPR, but on poppers. And if you want more strong opinions loosely held, like a long-form video series, for example, head to our Facebook watch page called Strong Opinions Loosely Held. Our first long-form episode tackles what do you do when your pop culture is ruined by predators? Our episode today was produced by the wonderful Julia Alsap, with help from the very buff Jay Brunson. It was edited by the awesome David Zuckerman and myself, and we hope you'll stay tuned, because there's another episode coming up right after this.